Democracy. 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 Für ein starkes Europa der Kulturen und Regionen, welches nicht European Democracy Lab Podcast from the Institute of European Democrats. Throughout history, culture, ethnic and religious identity, as well as art, have been at the very heart of armed hostilities, uprisings and wars. From the Crusades to the Balkan Wars, from the Israel-Palestinian conflict to the destruction of Palmyra by the hand of Daesh, cultural differences and conflicting identities seem to be primarily divisive, bound to provide fertile ground for the eruption of disagreements, disputes and clashes. But in many other instances, culture has proven to be the exact opposite, a means to bridge gaps between different societies. People-to-people contacts, educational exchanges, cross-border cooperation in the field of culture, cultural heritage, tourism, these are only some of the examples of how cultural relations can be used as a tool to build inclusive partnerships and promote global peace. If promotion of cultural diversity can foster mutual understanding, then one question comes to the fore. What if we used culture to actually prevent conflicts? But before delving into our debate question, we need to take a step back. In the context of international relations, what do we mean exactly by culture? Damien Helly, professor at the College of Europe in Bruges, is an international cultural advisor specialized in EU external cultural action. His research and advisory projects include a broad range of issues, from conflict prevention to crisis management practices. His interest in cultural development strategy is at the heart of Culture Solutions, a social innovation group and think tank specialized in EU international cultural relations. I am interested in these issues because they are both internal and external policy questions, you know. And Europeans in the world will not be able to develop an ambitious, self-aware cultural agenda if they have not clarified their own cultural relations within Europe, between different European societies, but also within grasping what multiculturality is today, how to manage cultural differences within our own European societies, building a new form of uh, European cultural model or several European cultural models of uh, you know, flourishing societies. Professor Helly's expertise is the most authoritative when it comes to finding a working definition of culture in the space of international relations. I think where we can look at is the definition uh, used by the UNESCO, for instance, in its uh, 2005 convention on the, the diversity of cultural expressions. And it can be summarized as two sides of phenomenon or, or concept. One aspect of culture is to see it as a sector of activities, as a field of, uh, let's say, aesthetic uh, expressions. So we will, in that case, speak of creative and cultural industries, cultural sector, where cultural professionals operate, if you want. 
And then you have the second aspect of culture is the whole set of features that can define the ways a group relates to the world and sees it. And usually when we, we say culture, we, we mix these two dimensions. And obviously they both are closely interlinked. Both definitions are clearly encapsulated in the policy framework used by the European Union since the publication of the 2016 Joint Communication on International Cultural Relations, a document that sets the European Union's external cultural policy priorities along three distinct dimensions. There is one priority of the 2016 document, uh, Joint Communication on International Cultural Relations, specifically pointing at CCIs, creative and cultural industries. Another priority is cultural heritage, which is probably an area where both dimensions collide. And then the third dimension is called intercultural dialogue, which probably bends towards, you know, the anthropological side of things or the worldview side of culture probably is of more interest to those working with the EU or working in international affairs is how to prevent violent conflicts. And here, obviously, we can, you know, go deeper into contribution of cultural relations between people that can be understood as the ways of creating the conditions of mutual recognition to allow the emergence of a common space of coexistence. The notion of mutual recognition as a prerequisite for a peaceful coexistence seems to be the real deal when we try to understand how cultural relations can contribute to conflict prevention. In recent years, mutuality, reciprocity, equal footing, have become more than buzzwords in EU member state cultural diplomacy. According to Professor Heli, a true paradigm shift has taken place. I find it very interesting, even more now, that we hear increasingly analysis and narratives about new Cold Wars. Because indeed, you could say, you know, with increasing international tensions in the world, focusing on control of uh, space, control of uh, new armaments, uh, new weapons, especially in Asia, uh, looking at very geopolitically oriented approaches from Russia and uh, responding narratives from the EU about the geopolitical Europe. You could say that there is no space for cultural relations in this context. But is it truly the case? In a world where conflict prevails over cultural relations, is there space at all for culture? Obviously, you know, the control of the internet and of the digital sphere is at the core of new tensions. And this is highly cultural as well, because if you consider internet as a cultural space, the key question there is what kind of internet do we want for which kind of world in the future? So everything is actually very cultural in a certain sense. Recently, in, in the course I'm teaching at the College of Europe in Bruges, we had the pleasure to have uh, Federica Mogherini. 
She said everything is culture and diplomacy. She admitted it to herself. Mutuality, reciprocity, and cultural awareness are increasingly seen as essential when it comes to setting up international partnerships. Another unifying element among societies is the admiration for their respective cultural and artistic heritage. According to Juan Antonio March, former ambassador to the Russian Federation and the WTO, plastic arts, above all, play a crucial role in bridging cultures and fostering mutual understanding. Art brings to the surface the most powerful thoughts and the most powerful characteristics of the human beings. I think that plastic arts have been always an element of admiration to the others and provoking respect. So most of the time, the conflicts are in the area of ideas and conceptual terms. But well, I normally admire very much the paintings, the ceramics, the arts created by other cultures. In the view of Ambassador March, for art to be an effective tool of international cultural relations, unblocking individual talents and engaging with civil society are crucial. Because the key thing is first to enhance diversity as an instrument of enrichment of the people. And these are the elements, I think, that we have to mobilize much more the civil society in favor of visualizing how cooperative actions can create a new positive dynamic in the world in this era. It is very important to put as major issue not the power of a group, but the need to unblock the talent of each individual. We have to put the individuals in the center of the political effort of the world. During his diplomatic posting in Geneva in the 2000s, Ambassador March was directly involved in the decoration of the dome of room number 20 of the United Nations building, where the Human Rights Council nowadays takes place. According to him, this particular painting is a very good example of the positive power of art. In Geneva, there are four rooms for conference, and these rooms are called number 17, 18, 19, and 20. And then 20 was the less well-preserved room of the fourth. The ceiling is just in plaster, and there's some paintings on the top. So the other rooms were very functional, and that one was with a dome, but was empty in white for 42 years, and the room was a little bit less friendly than the others. Following a proposal of the Spanish government, a unique ceiling painting was created by abstract artist Miguel Barceló. The marvelous artwork has been defined by some as a 21st century Sistine Chapel. On 18th November 2008, the Human Rights and Alliance of Civilization Room was inaugurated by the United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon at the Palais des Nations in Geneva. And it, because the room is incredible, the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon proposed that room would become the room of the Human Rights Council. So the Human Rights Council is sitting in that room, not because it's a larger room, or is closer to the entrance, but it is because of the beauty of the place. And the beauty of the place was done by the art. The beauty of art, in Ambassador March's words, 
and its cathartic power can alone promote a culture of dialogue and understanding, and even inspire the noble art of diplomacy in a complex multilateral forum such as the Human Rights Council in Geneva. When it comes to the European Union, culture is one of those domains that treaties call supporting competencies. To make it simple, when dealing with cultural policy, the European Union has no power to legislate. It can only support the action of member countries. Against this background, the 2018 New European Agenda for Culture, along with the 2016 communication, have revolutionized the way the European Union sees and intends to use culture internally and in its external action. Damien Helly was one of the four independent experts involved in the European Union's preparatory action on culture in external relations. This work has ever since paved the way to the current European Union policies and priorities. But which developments have concretely occurred? And what's the state of the art in the European Union's cultural policy framework? I think it has been growing on the policy level. You had the 2016 uh, joint communication on a strategic approach to international cultural relations, followed by several council conclusions. Those of April 2019, I find extremely important because they mention very explicitly invitation of the council to member states to design and contribute to the design and development of specific country-tailored cultural strategies of the EU. And for me, this is one of the key priorities today. In 2020, Culture Solutions published a report called Composing Trust, which takes stock of the progress made since 2016 and keeps track of the programs launched in this domain. The work plan for the follow-up of the 2018 European Year of Cultural Heritage has an international pillar, uh, which also uh, has been developed through uh, several programs. For instance, there is one program called Ilucidare, which is about developing various ways of doing uh, cultural heritage diplomacy. There are partnerships with UNESCO on a variety of aspects related to cultural heritage, but also the EU-UNESCO Cultural Experts Facility. There's uh, another mechanism called the Cultural Relations Platform, previously called the Cultural Diplomacy Platform. So it has been renewed, led by Goethe Institute, together with other partners. And in the field of development cooperation, INSPA has also continued to launch some programs. Ever since the publication of the strategy in 2016, a new commission entered office, bringing a new flavor to the European Union political agenda. Green, digital and geopolitical Europe are the new focus. According to Professor Heli, to rekindle the European Union's ambitious cultural agenda, a new momentum is needed. So there's a need of, for uh, some sort of aggiornamento of, you know, the policy narrative on international cultural relations. My view is that there should be a new policy document uh, drafted to update the 2016 one, 
my analysis is that we've got everything we need at the policy level in terms of references and encouragement. Now the difficulty is to ensure that it's going to trickle down to the implementation levels. This state of affairs entails new challenges for the European Union, including what bureaucrats call implementation, namely the course of action that translates a policy into concrete outcomes. In the European Union foreign policy architecture, much of the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the EU delegations, the diplomatic outposts of the Union all around the world. With an increased role for EU delegations, a lot relies on them because each delegation has a so-called cultural focal point in charge of culture. Uh, but these people are absolutely crucial to actually push forward this cultural agenda. And some of them are not used to dealing with culture, actually. They don't know very much this field. So they need training to improve their skills and competencies so that they actually can design proper, efficient and ambitious cultural initiatives in uh, the partner countries. Keeping an eye on the goal of conflict prevention, how can the European Union improve its external cultural policy? Professor Heli has identified a set of best practices. The first one has to do with the EU external image or how other societies perceive Europeans. So I would mention first all perception studies that have been run by institutions or EU delegations, either globally or in specific countries to better understand how Europeans in the EU are perceived. And uh, that's the very first thing to say, to do, to before engaging. You know, you really need to make the effort to understand your interlocutors and your partners. So any studies on these aspects and issues, to me, are really essential and necessary. Once established a deep understanding of the local sensitivities, The second step is to design targeted cultural programs. And with such programs, in recent years, the European Union has been actively involved in its closer neighborhood and beyond. The Ukraine program uh, called European House, for instance, uh, is interesting. It's uh, led by uh, UNIC and Goethe Institute. It has been inspired partly by Tunisia Creative, which is also uh, very European in its nature, based on equal partnership with Tunisian authorities and, and really at the service of uh, Tunisian civil society. So there's a, a little component of cultural diplomacy, but there's also a lot of cultural relations about civil society, exchanges between cultural professionals and empowerment of uh, cultural organizations. And then maybe one last example is this um, EU-funded uh, UNESCO project in Yemen uh, using cash-for-work methodologies to renovate and uh, relaunch the cultural heritage uh, sector in Yemen. Not all third countries are equally easy to engage with when it comes to cultural relations. Political divergences, trade wars or sanction schemes may hamper the dialogue and condemn diplomatic efforts to a stalemate. Is that always the case? With difficult regimes, the idea is to build trust, not necessarily with those that are the hardest in the regime, but 
is to build trust with those who are a little bit less harsh and a little bit um, maybe more engaged with the well-being of their population. And if you engage in a dialogue with these people, consensual uh, topics it can be sports, for instance. If you open some space in, in the dialogue, then you can translate this little space of trust into a cooperation initiative that does not create a diplomatic incidents but creates a better atmosphere. What lessons can we learn? Cultural relations can be effectively used as a tool to engage third countries on contested issues and to address joint challenges. From the European Union's standpoint, developing this policy area is an opportunity to enrich its foreign policy toolkit, to improve its image among partner countries and, why not, to prevent conflicts. Since 2016, the main challenges for the European Union have been translating its cultural policy framework into concrete programs and empowering its diplomatic outposts all around the world. According to Professor Helly, there is also an internal dimension to be taken into account. There is a lot still to be done in order to enrich and to encourage uh, cultural exchanges and the wealth of um, cultural diversities within Europe. And this is very related to a, an external agenda because the more at ease Europeans will be with their own cultural diversity, the more equipped and self-confident, but also more modest and humble they will be when engaging with uh, other societies on other continents and in the digital sphere as well. So to me, these two aspects are, are very, very closely uh, linked. And this is why I find it fascinating because uh, successful experiences abroad can also help our own internal European dynamics and vice versa. For an institution as complex as the European Union, becoming more culturally aware of its external partners is a two-way process. In a certain sense, it's only by embracing its own cultural diversity that the EU can accredit itself not only as a powerful trading bloc, but also as a credible actor in international cultural relations. Strengthening joint-up initiatives among member states and mainstreaming the principle of mutual recognition could then be the cornerstone for an effective external cultural policy. If the European Union really managed to step up its presence in the cultural sphere, more and more avenues for international cooperation and partnerships would emerge, benefiting the European Union's global outreach and leadership in foreign policy. The European Democracy Lab podcast is a series by the Institute of European Democrats, a think tank and political foundation financed by the European Parliament. You can find more about this podcast and learn about our activities on the website www i-e-d-online dot e-u. Mm -hmm.